Hi everyone, I want to take a moment and thank you so much for all of you who have been listening to these podcasts. I am beyond blessed to be able to minister and since 2016 we've uploaded about 131 episodes between sermons and interviews and this has been nothing but a blessing and God has grown my faith and my hope is that God has grown your faith through all these podcast episodes and I want to ask you if you could do something for me. I would love for you to reach out to me and let me know how this podcast podcast has made a difference in your life. If you want to leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would mean so much to me, primarily because this is a way for other people to find out about this podcast. So if you could do that, I would really, really appreciate it. But even if you can't, I am very, very thankful for the time that you choose to download and listen. Maybe I don't know every single one of you, but I look forward to one day maybe meeting you at some conference or so on. So thank you so much again, and God bless you and enjoy the message. Hey man, you can take your seats. I, um, Kind of mentioned to our leaders right when we started is is apostle john went to uh the island of apopmas and like he was there by himself and i love how D- david wilkerson says this that when he was there on the island um he started a church called the church of i john because it was only him um but the idea there that he says that i john started to minister unto the lord so I think a lot of times when we look at ministry, we look at ministry as like, oh, you're doing it for people, you're helping people get to know the Lord, which is true, but first and foremost, our ministry is unto the Lord. So if you're home by yourself praying, you are ministering unto the Lord. If you're intercessing for someone, yes, you're intercessing for that person, but you're also ministering unto the Lord. Right, when we come together, regardless if there's 50 of us or if there's 15 of us or two of us, we are minister first and foremost unto the Lord. And I think when we look at this passage, it's quite, you know, it's a long passage to, to start off with. And I, I just kind of read it over and over and over. And I was like, man, I don't really know how all of this connects, but I want to hopefully you see tonight so there's a thread that connects all these stories and puts them together and if you are taking notes for tonight i want to um uh, the, the name of my my sermon for tonight is called by name now this is also a theme for our you know i work for like i mentioned for a high school and this whole year is actually named for our high school is called by name and it's based on this passage in isaiah that God speaks to Isaiah on behalf of Israel. He says this, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He formed you, O Israel. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you mine. I have called you by name. This is a reference, obviously, to God's people, Israel. He says, I called you by name. I called you mine. Have you noticed how much of our identity is wrapped in our name? Like, for example, every single time somebody makes a Slavic joke, my ears perk up and I'm like, is that about me? Because, you know, have you noticed that when somebody mentions your name, somehow, like, you automatically hear? Like, you could not pay attention to the whole conversation at all. But the moment someone mentions your name, you automatically perk up because you're like, oh, that's so familiar to me. Um, there's actually a quote by, I believe his name is Dale Carnegie. Uh, he's like a business person, but he says, remember that a person's name is, to that person, the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Because we grow up constantly being called that name. Now, you know, it's not just important to us. It's also important to our families. Every single time I mention a name, you automatically have either really good feelings about that person or maybe somewhat neutral or maybe you don't have such a nice feelings for that person, right? Like every single time you hear a name, there's certain, you know, mood that you kind of feel about that specific person. If I say Jesus, right, automatically you're put at ease. Like, yes, he's my savior. He's my Lord. But if I say Lucifer, the whole mood changes, right? Names have this intrinsic, you know, value that just kind of comes. And and I think a lot of times people don't really think about the importance of their name. If you ever thought about your name, how important it is. Uh, for example, a lot of the names are given are given basically because they're kind of like pragmatism. They're just practical. Like for example, my last name is Morado. If you don't know who that is. You don't have to. 
um, but it's translated miller. So it's the guy who makes flour, takes grain, grinds the grain, right? He makes flour, so he's the miller man. At some point, I guess, I, I, I don't really know this, but like at some point in my family line, someone was engaged in this kind of business and we were known as the Millers, right? And that's how I ended up with my last name. You know, uh, if you talk about Simon the Shoemaker, what do you think Simon does? He makes shoes, right? Where somebody in his family made shoes, right? Like a lot of our names are wrapped up or a lot of our identities is wrapped up in our names. And it, sometimes it started with maybe uh, your parents had this, this amazing vision for your life. And then maybe they had a specific person they looked up to. And maybe it's a king or a, a Bible person and they named you. I wonder what Apostle Paul or Paul, our Paul was named after, right? Like, Sorry, I think I had that backwards. I wonder what our Paul was named after. Could be that you were named after Apostle Paul, right? It could be that, you know, families, you know, specifically parents, they look at, okay, how can I, can I name my son or my daughter? I actually have a friend of mine who called me, um, I don't know where, and he's like, man, I am about to have a baby boy and I have no idea. Me and my wife, we've been wrestling with how do we name this baby boy because they were really struggling trying to find a name and my reply to him was well god chose his name from the beginning of the world all we have to do is pray and you'll find out when the name is for this person you know for this little baby boy he was like well no pressure or anything right and he ended up naming this boy matthew and now he's his i think he's probably seven by now right our names matters to us a lot um I, I, at school, I, we have about 490 students, and I think I know about 300 of them. I think I know them by name, but I'm so overwhelmed a lot of times when, I, when I'm walking through, through the hallway, and they call your name, and they say, hey, good morning, and they call me Mr. M. So it's like, but then you, when you have all these students calling your name, you get so overwhelmed because you're like, I don't remember that person's name, and I don't know how to respond back to that person, right? But this one particular moment, I remember that this kid's name, his name is Millerman, maybe because my last name, I don't know. I remembered him, and he didn't, I really, didn't really know him, but I saw him in the lunch line, and I said, um, how's it going, Millerman? And he's like, that's right, Millerman, you know my name. And I'm like, yeah, like, that's, that's really cool, you know my name. Okay, all right. But then how many times have you had the same experience when somebody called your name? You're like, wow, you actually know my name. But how do we name God? Moses is called to go and ask the Pharaoh or tell Pharaoh that his people, he has to let the people go, right? And he's having this encounter with God and he's asking God, who are you? And do you remember God's response? Did he say Yahweh? No, he says, I am who I am. And it's like frustrating. Like, what do you mean you are who you are? What do you mean I am who I am? You see, because when it comes to God, he has nothing or no one to define himself by. You can't, you can't define God by something else. I am who I am. Or I am that I am. Right? Every single time we use somebody's name, we communicate value. Imagine if you woke up in the one morning and you did not know what your name is, where you came from, right? Like you would be an emotional wreck trying to figure out, okay, how do I navigate this? There's a, there is a phrase for a ship that has no, no idea, you know, where it's at in the sea, and that is a lost ship, right? Like if you woke up and you did not know what your name is or where you were born or who your parents are, right? Like you would be, just lost right our names give us a certain level of identity and when we use somebody else's name we give them dignity and respect you know the, the how many times people name drop like yeah i just know that person like because they want to be associated with that person with that name and yet god the god of the universe cares enough for you and for me to know us by name, to call us by name, and sometimes change our name. And Jeremiah 1.55 says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
before you were born, I consecrated you. Consecration means I, I, and I brought you to a, to a specific purpose. I brought you up for a specific purpose. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. So Jeremiah, God says, I knew you before you were born. Right? The God of the universe. I mean, it's one thing if somebody remembers your name. But if you are really looking up to someone, like your favorite player, your favorite musician, your favorite preacher, and imagine you're walking by them and they look at you like, hey, Paul, I know you. Like, or Philip, or Chip, right? Like, that, that would be crazy to you. Like, wait a second, this person knows my name. But the God of the universe knows our name and calls us by name. I know it's such a simple truth, but I want you to grasp that, that God loves you enough and cares about enough to call you by name. Now, what is he calling you to? First, I think, what is he calling you out of, right? Well, if you look at Israel right now, of course, what is true of Israel is true of what what God has called us as the new Israel to be. What is happening with Israel? God says that, like I've, I've mentioned to you in Isaiah, that but now, but now, thus the Lord says, He created you, O Jacob, and He says He created Jacob. You know, if you remember Jacob's name, what does Jacob means? Uh, what does Jacob mean? Deceiver. If you didn't know that, and God changes His name, gives them a new name, Israel. He says, "Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name." and you are mine. Now, can I tell you that Israel struggled with their identity as a nation? I'll give you a little bit of a quick summary. If you remember, somebody already mentioned that Joseph went to Egypt, and then in Egypt they became enslaved to Egyptians. And then Moses calls, you know, comes and brings Israel, the house of Israel out of Egypt, out of a place of desolation and slavery, not, not a place of desolation, but I would say a thriving metropolis, right, into a place of desert, right, where that would be a place of, uh, of desolation. But God calls his people out of Egypt, but for a season, for about 400 years, they were enslaved to the Egyptians. And then God called them out of a place of never enough to a place of just enough in the middle of the desert, a place of desolation. But was the purpose to get them into the desert? No, the purpose was the promised land. And, and, and then do they get to the promised land? Eventually they do to Canaan, but do they live happily ever after? No. In Canaan, they conquer some people, but then there's, you have these seasons of constantly, you know, uh, becoming apathetic when it comes to, to what God says. Right, and as they become apathetic, God will give them to a certain people in slavery again. If you look through the book of Judges, it's a book of just almost depression, of constant cycles of, of them following the Lord, then, then they, they becoming apathetic of following the Lord, then they give into a whole bunch of idolatry, then God gives them into someone's hand, right, to stay in the, under slavery, and in that slavery, they would cry out to God, God raise up a judge, would deliver them, Right? God would deliver them, and then the same cycle would repeat over and over again. It's a book of just, and the book of Judges ends on such a bad note where it says, and at the end, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. I wish to tell you that, you know, it kind of sounds like today, doesn't it now? Right? Like, I wish to tell you that that's the, the end of it, but it's not. If you remember Assyria, the great kingdom of Assyria, if you don't remember, think of Jonah. Right, like where, you know, he's called to preach to the Assyrians. He's like, nope, nope, no, not going there. Remember Nineveh, right? Why? Because Assyrians were brutal. They would skin people alive. And Jonah's like, wait a second, going to that city? No, you you are trying to show mercy to the Assyrians. But God says, no, go preach repentance to Nineveh. Now, I wish to tell you that that was the end of it, but it's not. After Assyrians, they get conquered by who? The Babylonians. If you remember the book of Daniel, you know, it's just a whole book of brokenness, of, of them being exiled into Babylon. 
I wish to tell you that's over, but it's not. Remember, Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar and so on. The next one is Persian Empire, which is Cyrus the Great, right? They, they comes and just desolates the place. And it's just, it's just a crazy time of slavery for, for this small nation. Is that over? No. After the uh, Persians, the Greek Empire comes over and destroys, again, the, these people, takes them to captivity. And remember Alexander the Great, right? And then when he dies, the prime of his power, there's four generals, and they come, and they desecrate the temple. They bring a pig as an offering in the temple, and they desecrate, and you remember Judah Maccabee, and they cleanse the temple after that, and they, they, they start to, like, re- revolt against the Greeks and Hellenization and all that, right? Like, And then you have, after that, you have the Romans. So you have these series of constant, you know, conquering of Israel. Do you think you would have an identity problem when you have just been conquered by so many nations and you've lived in slavery for so long in different cultures? You would, wouldn't you? But what was their identity? Their identity was, you are supposed to be as my people in this world, in this world that there is no hope. You are supposed to be called out. You are the chosen ones. You are the holy. You are supposed to be separated from the world. You're not to assimilate with these kingdoms. You are not to, you know, and to a certain extent you see people like Daniel who will, will abstain from Babylon and, and all the things of Babylon. He would pray, remember with Cyrus, and he would pray so many times a day and so on. Israelites, they were supposed to be, and their identity was supposed to be rooted in who they are as people of God. Now, do they do that well? Not exactly. Right, so when we get to the Roman Empire, they're conquered again. They live under slavery, right? They live under these oppressors. And this is where we find this in this chapter, where Jesus is, is, is I, I do believe I'm, I'll be reading from NIV just because I copied NIV, but Jesus says, says that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed him. When they learned about what he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because, the, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Now, you know, again, you have people that are so, like, they, 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 they've lost their identity and they're constantly looking to the next prophet that will maybe deliver them, the next Messiah. Is, is, the, is this the Messiah? Right, so when the crowd sees that someone is, is doing all these miracles, obviously their curiosity is, and not only just curiosity, but they want bread. They want to be healed. So they all come to Jesus to the point where they're so surrounding Jesus, where Jesus has to have, I mean, think about this, having an escape plan just in case. And they have a boat just ready for, for, for him. And it says, whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. Now, why would the spirits, or the demons rather, say that? Why would he, why would the demons cry out to Jesus and say, you are the son of God? Well, if you look, they were trying to kind of expose Jesus, but didn't, it didn't really work. Some people are saying, well, they were just trying to kind of expose Jesus. Other people thought that at that time, they thought that if they can just name people by title or whoever by title, then you can get a certain level of, of kind of authority over them. And Jesus says, no, you need to just be quiet. Right? So you have these miracles that are happening and people are just getting so overwhelmed that we possibly have the Messiah. We have a miracle worker. It says, but he gave strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed the twelfth that they might be with him and that he might send them to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, here's what's happening is Jesus, how many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve. How many tribes are there there of Israel? Twelve. How many uh, years were Israel in the wilderness? Forty. How many days was Jesus in the wilderness? Forty. Do you start seeing a pattern here? Right, where you see the Israelites, who actually, there's a couple of scriptures that talk about how the Israelites were God's sons. 
right? And they failed at the task they were called to do, and that is to live as a beacon of hope in the midst of this world. They failed to do that. And God sends his son, and he's trying to bring the Israelites together. And you're seeing, you're sort of seeing glimpses that Jesus is the son of God, is the Messiah, is the prophet, that every other prophet wasn't up to par, and Jesus is the ultimate prophet. He's the ultimate priest. He's the ultimate son of God, right? So he says he called the 12. Now, he, he, he calls them specifically by name. He says, these are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. So if you remember Peter, the rock, right? James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name um, Matt, uh, the name uh, Bonarges, I think, which means sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. Now, if you remember, the zealots were people who were trying to, like, overpower Rome. And like I said last Sunday, imagine having a tax collector like Matthew. His name used to be Levi, Matthew. And he's collecting taxes for Romans. And then you have, you know, Simon the Zealot, who is trying to overthrow Rome in the same small group, following the same teacher, right? There will be a lot of, there will be a lot of, like, misunderstanding and so on. And this is, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And Jesus entered the house, and again a crowd gathered. So he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, they, for they said, he is out of his mind. So you have in the Old Testament, you see that God is calling the Israelites constantly out of their sin, out of their rebellion, out of their idolatry. So that's what he's calling him, uh, them out of. Now, Jesus is doing the same thing where he's calling his disciples. Some of them are fishermen. Some of them were, you know, tax collectors. Some of them were sinners. I think all of them were sinners. It's correction. Some, some, of, some of them were rebellious. So Jesus is calling these people who are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination out of their problems and calls them into a new identity. And th that's why Jesus even changes some of their names. You used to identify yourself by this, but I'm giving you a new name. Just like he is calling you out of your addiction. He's calling you out of your sin, out of my sin, right? And he's giving us, used to define yourself as an alcoholic, but no longer. You are a son of the living God. You used to call yourself a thief, but no longer. You are, you have a new identity in Christ. It baffles me in the modern day and age when people consider themselves to be an alcoholic Christian a transgender Christian, a gay Christian. There is no such a thing. When, you, when God calls you out of your sin, you can no longer identify yourself by the old sin, but what you used to identify yourself on. And here's my scripture for that, just to prove it to you, that when God calls you out, you know, he gives you a new identity. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says this, Would you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And look at the beautiful passage that comes next. He says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Right? So it's, so it's like when God calls you, just like God called Israel, when Israel is called out of Egypt, don't, no longer you can identify yourself as an Egyptian slave. The problem is that even though God calls us out of Egypt, sometimes Egypt comes along with us. Have you ever wondered why they build, out of all things, they build a cow? Right? Like, remember when Moses was on the mountain, and they're like, what happened to Moses? We don't know. <laughs> we got to see who God is. So we took all this gold, and when Moses comes back, he sees this calf, this, this cow, right? 
and he breaks the Ten Commandments, and and then he comes to Aaron, and Aaron's like, well, I don't know, we just got a whole bunch of gold thrown in the fire, and the cow came out. No, that's not how things work. You don't just throw things in the fire, and cows can't come out. No, you actually had to shake that thing. You had to to to, to like melt the gold, and you had to pour it, and then you had to shape it. That's how you got up with. That's how you ended up with an idol like a, a calf. But why why was it a cow? Why was it like a I don't know maybe a uh, some kind of like different animal it was because in Egypt most likely they worshipped cows and when they thought of God they thought of old Egypt the way I know that is because they were complaining about how in Egypt even though we're slaves at least we had garlic and you're like wait a second but you were a slave yeah but like we had garlic and like when we hear like and the way that, that, that that's happening to right now is people like man when I before I met the Lord I used to party and and drinking and we had a good time and I knew the boys and everything was great and then I I, I met Jesus all the exciting things just ended with you meeting Jesus like like you you're talking about your old life yes that, those things happen, but also you're, you're enslaved to those things, right? So if you are called out of slavery, out of Egypt, you can no longer identify yourself with those things. Maybe I'm, I'm saying these things that are so in your face, but maybe you still identify yourself with your old insecurities. You came to Christ, but you think, well, I'm still ugly. I'm fat. I'm still a liar. I'm a thief. I, I, I'm a gossip, right? If you're called by him, you can no longer identify yourself. And that's my, 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 my first point to you, just like Israel was called out, just like Jesus called his disciples, Jesus is calling us to leave behind our old identities, our old allegiances to all the kingdoms that you've served, which we all know all is in one, which is the dark kingdom, Right, leave behind all of that and embrace your new identity in Christ. For I know the plans I have for you because the Lord, remember? It's so out of context, but you know what I mean. Right, sometimes you just need that to know that the Lord has plans for you, even though this is for Israel. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you thought you were weak, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Right, remember, He's called you out of this. Stop making deals with who you were in the past. And that is my hope is, I don't know how you defined yourself in the past, but I'm really hoping that you'd, you'd fully embrace this new call of God in your life. That you'd step out out of your old identities and how you identify yourself. And now to say, I am a Christian. Because here's the problem. Because we see three different kinds of groups of people in here. One of them was the disciples. What was the disciples' response to God's call in their life? When God called them by name, how did they respond? You know how they responded? Lord, I don't really know what we are embarking on here, but I'm going to leave everything behind because I've seen in you hope that I've never seen before. That's the response that I'm hoping we would do, that we would respond with. But that, that wasn't all of it. He says that his family thought, oh, he's just crazy. He's just crazy. So now we have people in modern day and it's, it's funny, like, you think that things have changed, but they haven't. It's the same people dealing with different problems, but it's the same thing. Where in the modern days, like, when you hear the call of God, and God calls you by your name to be a new person in Him, some of us fully embrace it, and some of us, I don't know, I just, like, I think He's crazy. I, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis, because other people can respond back with, oh, well, he, well, Jesus was just a moral good teacher, but He's not the Messiah. Um, I don't know if you will be able to put this on the screen, but he says this. I'm trying, C.S. Lewis says this. I am trying to hear to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him, his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic. 
on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with a patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He's not, he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. This idea that somehow Jesus was just a moral teacher. Moral teachers don't go around saying that they're God. Either Jesus was who he says he is, which I think I'm convinced of, that he is the son of God. He is God himself. Or he can't just be a good moral teacher. Good moral teachers don't go around claiming to be God. You know, we have a thing for people who claim to be God. People who claim to be God, we call them crazies. They think they're, they're God one day, the next day they think they're a mug or Napoleon. Right? Like, like those, those are the things. Now, guess how did his family respond to Jesus? He must be crazy. How does how, how, that even happen? This is your family. But then as I done, done more digging, I realized that Jesus was also called by the wrong names. Mark 6, 3 says this, Is this not the, carpenter's, uh, the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James? Did you catch that? The son of Mary. Have you thought about that? You know what they're saying here? Is normally they would say son of David, son of Joseph, because there was a genealogy. But this was literally them saying that Jesus was born out of wedlock. Nobody knows who his dad is. I'll save you the actual word that we use in the modern day. But they're using this a derogatory term, son of Mary, because he doesn't have a genealogy, and who knows what Mary did to have him. We see that the Pharisees looked at Jesus and they called him what? Friend of who? Sinners. You know who you are. Um, I can tell you by your crowd. This is not them saying, oh, you know, he's so great because he hangs out with sinners. He, they're saying, no, he's a sinner just like these people who he, he's hanging out with. And the crown jewel of all of them is that he's demon-possessed. And, and Jesus addresses this, and look at this. He says, and the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, a different translation of Beelzebub, which is the prince of demons. And by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak with them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. And in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be... Now, listen to this. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins in every slender they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of eternal sin. They are guilty of eternal sin. So what is Jesus saying? Well, first of all, when he is, is kind of like, they launch this charge at him, the charge is that he is doing, yes, like I'll grant you that the miracles that you're doing, they're powerful, but let me tell you, you're doing these miracles because you are possessed by a demon. You are serving the prince of demons. And Jesus brings him in. He says that he started to talk to him in parables. Now, what is a parable? A parable is a story mixed with a riddle, right? And there's usually some kind of like, way to figure out, okay, what does that parable mean? And if you ever had a riddle that somebody told you, and you're like, I thought I was pretty good at riddles, but this one is just not getting to me. And you're getting so frustrated, and you're like, maybe I'm not as, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Have you ever had that one you had a riddle? It happens all the time. Right? Where you're like, maybe I'm not as smart as I thought I was. 
Maybe because you're not. No offense. Right? But it, it, when we have, when we do riddles, there's, there's humility involved. You have to humble your, yourself. And sometimes, with, especially with riddles, the, the, the answer is so plain, yet you can't see it because you're overthinking it. Right? Same thing with, with and some, some of them are obviously really hard, so like, you know, but same thing with parables. It takes faith to actually understand what the parable is. But Jesus even switches and he's very logical. He says, look, if, he, if you're saying that I'm doing this by the power of Satan, how can Satan stand if his house is divided? And he proclaims a, ju- a judgment on them. What is the judgment? That every sin is forgiven except what sin? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. You know the sin that you grew up with thinking, did I do it or not? Right? Like that, that sin, they're like, did I just commit blasphemy? Because if I blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, oh my Lord, like how do I ever like repent of this? Because it's not forgivable. Well, can I tell you that in this way, the way that it's written here, you'll never blaspheme the Holy Spirit like that. Because here's the context. The context is that they have John the Baptist, who was the greatest what? Prophets, according to Jesus. So in this moment in time, they have John the Baptist, which is the greatest of prophets, right? They have Jesus embodied Jesus physically in front of them creating all these miracles and they have the law they have all of this and they look at all this they look at the law they look at the prophets and they look at Jesus creating these miracles making these miracles and they attribute that to the to the enemy attribute that to Satan what is happening is here is all the evidence is before them and they choose to say that this is of the devil that is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit because this is all the work of the Holy Spirit. All the prophecies in the Old Testament, I'm talking about the godly prophecies in the Old Testament. All the work of John the Baptist that, that he did according to what he was called to do is of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus has done is of the Holy Spirit and his sacrifice on the cross. That is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, we can still do it to a certain extent, and here's where you have to comfort, John MacArthur says, comfort the, the, the disturbed and disturb, disturb the comfortable. Right? Like where, where if you think you've done it, most likely the very fact that you have the sphere of doing it, most likely is the Holy Spirit you know, convicting you of never doing it again, and most likely the Holy Spirit is active in your life. But really what this means is to look all the evidence of Jesus and to walk away and say, I want nothing to do with this. This is of the enemy. This is, this is a lie. And because you're walking away from the only sacrifice that can save you, there is no more salvation for you. And that's why it's unforgivable. Because you're turning your back to the only way that you can be saved. And Jesus, he says that everything will be forgiven to those who ask, right? Like, but that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, right? He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. And then what happens next? So I told you that, first of all, God calls you by your name out of your sin, out of your slavery. But then the question becomes, okay, what is he calling you to? Right, you're gonna find that that in uh, in the same passage a little bit earlier on, in the verse um, 14, he says this. Well, let's start with 13. He says, Jesus went up the mountain and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed the twelve that they might do what, be with him. So first is to be with him, and that he might send them out to what preach. And then have authority to cast out demons or to drive out demons. So the first thing that you're called to do what? Is to be with Jesus. The second thing you're called to do is to... um, He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send out... The second thing is to preach to others, right? And then to walk in the authority that was given to you. I love this passage also in... um, uh, a different verse in First uh, Peter two nine. It, it's talking to the Israelites, but then now Peter is speaking to those who are grafted into God's family. 
those who are, have embraced Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So in 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Just like God said of Israel, you are mine, I called you by name. Here you have Peter talking about the Christians, the Jewish people, the Gentiles, that they, they became new. He says that we are what? His special what? Possession. It's the same message, that you are mine. It says, and the, what, what are you called to do? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and to use marvelous light. So he calls us out of sin, out of darkness. He calls us out of the Egypts and, and, and the identities that we've had before him. And he calls us to what? To spend time with him, to walk with him, and to preach the gospel, to proclaim his excellencies. And the finally is to walk in authority. Right? Of course, we have a different kind of function than the apostles, and we're not claiming here to be apostles, the, 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 the first word that they were, you know, but, but we are to walk in the authority that is given to us in the name of Jesus. So you are called out of darkness into his marvelous light to be with him, to proclaim the, 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 the good news of the gospel. That is the purpose that we have as a Christian, as our new identity is in him. And the last one, that I want to mention, well, the second to last is, how do we respond? Because you, ha you see the different kinds of people, they responded differently. You have the disciples who said, you know what, ready to go. I will give everything. I will leave everything behind and follow you, Jesus. Then you have his family. They're like, well, he's crazy. I don't know if I'm on, on board with all of that. And then you have the Pharisees and the teachers who are looking at Jesus saying, yep, he's demon-possessed. How do you respond to Jesus? You see, like, if you are in the dark or if you're blind and you stub your toe on the sofa, I can't really blame you because you're blind or you're walking in darkness. But you know if there's a sofa right there and you just walk by and you just hit it, right? Well, that's on you, right? Because you see, with more light, there's also more responsibility. How you respond to the call of Jesus. One day you will have to give an account before the Lord. You, you can't claim ignorance anymore. How you responded to him is, it matters, right? Like it's, it's he, you know, he brings clarity, he brings light, but also with great light comes great responsibility. And what is the reward of us being called out of darkness called to a purpose to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into the light to be with him and depends on who you are is how you're going to respond are you a disciple are you someone that's close to jesus but you don't really see him for who he is as the messiah or are you just the pharisee who knows all the religious language but like at the end of the day they're still lost and they're claiming that Jesus is possessed. Here's the beautiful passage that kind of closes the whole thing. Maybe it's not necessarily beautiful for his family, but look at this. It says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, sending outside, verse uh, 30 and 31. Then Jesus' mothers and brothers arrived, sending outside. They sent someone to call him, and crowd was sitting around him, him and they told him your mother and brothers are outside looking for you and here's Jesus response he hears that his mom and his brothers are outside and look at his response I don't know if you ever thought about this he says who are my mother um, who who are my mother and brothers he asked then he looked at those who seated seated in a circle around him listen you don't sit in a circle around Jesus unless you plan on staying there if you're criticizing Jesus, you're, you're usually like this and maybe in the corner and you're kind of like watching. But if you're sitting at Jesus' feet, you understand this is someone who wants to learn from Jesus. Right? So what is, what is happening here is he hears that his, you know, Mary and his brothers are outside and Jesus responds, says, who are my mother and brother? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. 
Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is looking at those who are sitting at his feet and saying, look, you want to know what my family is? You are my sisters, my brothers, and my mom. What an amazing, I don't know if you really grasp what he's saying here, but what he's saying is the reward of leaving your old life behind, of being called out of your darkness, spending time with Jesus, embracing Jesus for who he is, the Messiah, the Lord, the Lord of all lords. The reward is that you become part of his family. And because you're part of his family, you're a son and a daughter. And because you're part of the same family, you get to share in his glory. No wonder Apostle Paul writes this passage, and I love what he says here. He says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh. So this is Colossians 1, 24 to 29. I'm filling up with uh, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages. So what's the mystery hidden for ages here in generations and now revealed to his saints? To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mysteries, which Christ is. So, so what's the glory and the riches? The Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all energy that he powerfully works within me. So what is the reward is you become part of his family. And because you're part of his family, you get to share in his glory. Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And I want to close with this story really quick. Hopefully, it'll bring all of this together. Hopefully, you see the thread, the connection in all of these kind of stories that seem a little bit different. But, but God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's calling you out of your slavery and to this moment of purpose. And the purpose is that you will be with him, that you proclaim his excellencies, that you preach the word, that you walk in the authority he's giving you. And that is not the authority that you have, but what he's done on the cross. And as you do that, you become part of his family. Don't be like the teachers and the Pharisees. No, respond like the disciples. Sit at Jesus' feet. The story is from 2009, I believe, and it's of this woman who went to a garage sale. You probably have heard the story before, but she went to a garage sale and she found a painting for $2 and she bought it for $2. Turns out that this was a Picasso painting and turns out to be in the hundreds of thousands, not millions. And what happened? What happened is somebody was able to tell, oh, I saw a signature here of Picasso or whoever the, the artist was. I think it was Picasso. Right? Something that was worthless. The moment they found a signature of a famous painter, Right, became this, this news story and became very, you know, very, uh, well, worthy for the lack, lack of a better term. What I'm trying to say is us without Christ, we're nobody. When I hear people talking about how I'm going to go against the, Satan, I'm going to punch Satan, I'm like, you have, no, you have no power. The power that we have is in Christ. Our worthiness is in Christ, as righteousness is in Christ. When God puts his signature on your life, when he calls you out of your darkness, he says, mine. Just like he did with the, 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 the nation of Israel, just like he did with disciples, God is still doing that today. He calls people out of their darkness. He says, you are mine. I chose you. And that's my hope is that we understand this. And, and I hope that, that this illuminated some, some of these amazing truths of this passage. Now, this whole message is not supposed to be just me talking at you. My hope is that as I'm preaching this message, as you're going through this passage, 
God reveals new truths to you. Of course, there's no new truth in general because God reveals so much, but maybe he'll reveal in a different way something to you. Spend some time, you know, until next Sunday we come together. I would love to hear what God opened. Like we, 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 during prayer, we, I would love for me to be quiet the whole time and you to talk about how God opened certain scripture to you or how God showed up for you. And that's why we have prayers on, uh, on the bye weeks that we don't have service. Allow the Lord to minister to you. What is he calling you out of? What are some things that you still associate with that you can't just slap a label like Christian and call yourself a Christian alcoholic or a Christian addict? There is no such a thing. They're contradictory. You either embrace your new identity in Christ or you are still in your old ways. You're either under his leadership and allegiance where you're still under that. Now, of course, we, I, I, we understand that you got times where some of the old life makes its way known into your present life. But this is where I love that pastor says, we cast down every single thing, every imagination that exalts itself above Christ. Right? We cast down anything that is not of him. We, we rebuke, we proclaim, we preach that's what I'll call to you. So would you stand with me? Hey everyone, I want to take a moment and thank you so much to all of you who have been downloading and listening to these podcasts. Recently, a friend of mine called me out of the blue and he said, hey, I want to be part of the ministry that you are doing and I want to financially support you. So I told him that for the last four years, I've been paying to host this podcast online. So he decided that he will pay for a year worth of podcast hosting. This nice gesture made me think maybe there are more people that would like to partner up with me in ministry. Oftentimes when I'm asked to minister at some church, a lot of the churches don't have enough money to cover my travel, my time that I took off of work, and the expenses that come with being in a different state. So I created a fund where all the proceeds that come into this fund from the online platforms will be used towards ministry, be it travel expenses or podcast production or creating any other form of ministry content. You can give through the link in the show notes. However, if you cannot support me financially, I encourage you to pray. And if you can, rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much again, and God bless. Hey everyone, I want to take a moment and thank you so much to all of you who have been downloading and listening to these podcasts. Recently, a friend of mine called me out of the blue and he said, hey, I want to be part of the ministry that you are doing and I want to financially support you. So I told him that for the last four years, I've been paying to host this podcast online. So he decided that he will pay for a year worth of podcast hosting. This nice gesture made me think maybe there are more people that would like to partner up with me in ministry. Oftentimes when when I'm asked to minister at some church, a lot of the churches don't have enough money to cover my travel, my time that I took off of work, and the expenses that come with being in a different state. So I created a fund where all the proceeds that come into this fund from the online platforms will be used towards ministry, be it travel expenses or podcast production or creating any other form of ministry content. You can give through the link in the show notes. However, if you cannot support me financially, I encourage you to pray and if you can rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much again and God bless.